Welcome back to Steph's Business Bookshelf and this week's episode about the book Non-Violent Communication by Marshall B. Rosenberg. Keep listening to find out when feelings are not feelings. Welcome back. I'm your host, Steph Clark, and each week I share with you the three big ideas from the best non-fiction books that I've been reading and do the reading so you don't have to. This week it is the book Nonviolent Communication by Marshall B. Rosenberg. We'll get into that in a little bit more in a moment. It's a pretty, pretty deep book. It's one that I've, I'm going to be honest, I've been procrastinating on for a few weeks since reading it or a couple of months now since reading it because it's there's a lot in there. There's a lot in there to try and summarise. So I sat down over the last couple of days and actually worked back through the information. And one of the good things about doing this podcast, well, see, there's many good things about doing this podcast. I get to talk to you every week for a start. And one of the things is actually the, the excuse to go back over books and really... I suppose cement in some ways, refresh my understanding of them and think, oh yeah, that 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 was one of the key messages, which sometimes when you're reading, whether you read quite fast and, and get through books quite quickly or whether you drag books out for a period of time, I often find it pretty easy to just walk away from a book having kind of consumed it without actually really digesting it, shall we say, to carry on that theme. Speaking of which, I've promised myself that once I've finished recording this episode, I'm allowed to go and have a hot chocolate. Sometimes I have to bribe myself. In other funny behind-the-scenes moments from this podcast, every single week for the last, what, 140, 135 weeks or 135 episodes, every time I go to record this, I always shout down to my partner and I shout, Dave, I'm about to record my podcast, so don't do anything loud or weird for the next 20 minutes. Every week. That is, that is the, the ritual that I have for recording this is, number one, treat myself to a snack afterwards or some kind of nice treat is first thing to bribe myself to do it. And secondly is to tell Dave not to do anything loud or weird. Anyway, none of those things you needed to know, not relevant to the podcast at all, but, but I thought you might like that little behind the scenes. Anyway, I'm not sure what Marshall B. Rosenberg would make of that kind of instruction that I make to my partner every week, but there we go. I probably should probably not overthink that one too much. All right, let's get into this book. There's a lot in there, so there's lots to get through. First of all, I'm going to give you a little bit of a blurb on Marshall, who is sadly no longer with us since about 2015 he passed away. But let me give you a little blurb on him and then the book, and then we'll get into the three big ideas as usual. Dr. Marshall B. Rosenberg was the founder and director of Educational Services for the Centre of Nonviolent Communication. Growing up in an inner-city Detroit neighbourhood, Dr. Marshall Rosenberg was confronted daily with various forms of violence. Wanting to explore the causes of violence and what could be done to reduce violence, he chose to study clinical psychology and received his PhD in clinical psychology from the University of Wisconsin in 1961. In 1966, he was awarded diplomat status in clinical psychology from the American Board of Examiners in Professional Psychology. Nonviolent communication training evolved from Dr. Rosenberg's quest to find a way of rapidly disseminating much needed peacemaking skills. The Center for Nonviolent Communication emerged out of work he was doing with civil rights activists in the early 1960s. During this period, he also mediated between rioting students and college administrators and worked to peacefully desegregate public schools in long segregated regions. Worldwide reactions have been inspiring. Evaluations indicate that this training vastly strengthens the ability to connect compassionately with oneself and others, as well as to resolve differences peacefully. Reports also indicate the benefit of training is not only stable over time, but actually increases. 
And that was taken from the Centre of Nonviolent Communication website, which is cnvc.org. There's heaps more you can learn about the, the model, the method and the training available for that on the website. I'll pop a link to that in the show notes. A little bit about the book before we get into the big ideas. Nonviolent communication is an enlightening look at how peaceful communication can create compassionate connections with friends, family and other acquaintances. This international bestseller uses stories, examples and sample dialogues to provide solutions to communication problems both at home and in the workplace. Guidance is provided on identifying and articulating feelings and needs, expressing anger fully and exploring the power of empathy in order to speak honestly without creating hostility, break patterns of thinking that lead to anger and depression and communicate compassionately. Practical nonviolent communication skills are partnered with a powerful consciousness and vocabulary that can be applied to personal, professional and political differences. Including in this new edition, which is the edition I read, is a complete chapter on conflict resolution and mediation. And that was taken from the Amazon book blurb. Again, I'll pop a link to that in the show notes. Now, one thing I have to say before we get into the three big ideas is there is a phenomenal amount of nuance in a book like this. So if you're listening to some of the big ideas and thinking, well, surely that can't be true 100% of the time. It's probably not. It probably absolutely isn't. And this is one of those books that I find really interesting, particularly in the methods and the, the techniques that are used and the, the case studies and examples from the book. But also I go away slightly frightened to sometimes put it into practice fully because I just think there's such a delicate balance in using it well and particularly in some of the language that they use, which we'll get into as I get into the big ideas. That said, it is something I'd love to learn more about. I think it's it's quite relevant if you are a leader, if you are particularly if you're doing facilitation and working with teams and doing coaching, that kind of thing. Some of the language and mindsets in here would be incredibly useful for having really hard conversations with people. I also just think it's an incredibly useful technique or mindset to be having in today's very fraught, divisive age, particularly as we keep finding more and more things to be very divided on. There's some language in here and some perspectives in here that you might find slightly challenging and particularly given some of the zeitgeist around personal responsibility and the the impact others have on each other's feelings and, and reactions and things as well. All right, with all of that said, let's get into the three big ideas from the book Nonviolent Communication by Marshall B. Rosenberg. Big idea number one is observe, feel, need and request. The nonviolent communication process is made up of four key stages. The first one is observing concrete actions that affect your well-being. The second one is knowing how you feel from what you observe. So from those facts in number one, so what the actual observable facts that you have seen or experienced of someone else. Number two is then understanding how you feel from what those observations are. The third part is knowing the needs and the values and the desires that create the feelings that you are feeling. And number four is the concrete actions you request in order to enrich your life. Going through this process allows you to express yourself better and notice the needs in others more empathetically. There's a lot in here around compassion and going through this process allows more space for compassion and allows you to reframe situations and feelings in a different way. By noticing the needs of others more empathetically as well, you're able to actually connect with them a little bit more rather than just sitting there and assessing how wrong they are for what they're saying or doing at the time. Because our analysis of others is often an expression of our own needs or values, not necessarily what the other person is thinking or what they are needing at the time. So that's big idea number one, observe, feel, need and request or the four key stages of the nonviolent communication process. 
Big idea number two, and this is where we get into maybe slightly more controversial material, is responsibility and expression. Marshall says that we are particularly dangerous when we deny personal responsibility and attach our feelings and actions to other people's or other groups' actions. So essentially, if we blame our actions or blame how we feel on what someone else does. So by denying personal responsibility for our own feelings and attaching them to someone else's behavior, we are becoming slightly dangerous. And some of the examples he gives, and these are everything from blaming the actions of others on how we react. So for example, the book in the example of the book is I hit my child because he ran into the street. So the action of another person has caused your reaction and we're blaming that on them rather than taking our own responsibility for it. Similarly, I started smoking because all my friends did. So that group pressure that we might fall into, again, attaching the the action or behavior that we have onto what someone else may be thinking or doing. And there's several other examples. Another one that I think is pretty useful here a lot and, and definitely fall into myself sometimes as well is sort of these vague impersonal forces. I cleaned my room because I had to. This idea of should or I have to do things rather than I have any control over that. Very similarly, issuing desires as demands on other people blocks compassion. It alienates other people because we can't make anyone do anything. And the more comfortable we become with that, the easier things will be. There's stories in the book of people who have been angry at their partners for decades and decades for not meeting their needs, but realize, having gone through the nonviolent communication training, that they've never actually made their needs known. And if we don't value our needs, then no one else is going to be able to because we haven't made them known. We haven't expressed them in a really healthy and useful way. So what we do is then we get stuck in resentment and anger and let these things kind of take over us and and really undermine relationships that we've got. There's also the idea of emotional slavery, as he calls it, which is where we take responsibility or too much responsibility for other people's feelings, thus denying our own personal responsibility for valuing our own feelings and our own behavior and our own reactions. So this is big idea number two, responsibility or taking personal responsibility for our actions and responses and expression, being able to healthily express our particular needs and values. Big idea number three is the root of feelings. Marshall says that underlying our feelings are needs or needs and values. We need to uncover these in ourselves and others. And we need to listen to what other people are needing, not what they are thinking. One of the techniques he uses for this throughout the book, and and this is probably quite a key part of the the application of nonviolent communication, is paraphrasing. So I'm going to share with you a little example that is in the book. And the context of this is Marshall is doing a bit of coaching or kind of mediation really between a husband and a wife who are not communicating very well, shall we say. And this is slightly shortened version. But the husband said, what good does talking do? You never listen to the wife. Now, if you had received that from your partner, that or that you'd heard that statement from your partner, there's probably a million different things that are, some are much more helpful or some are much less helpful, I'm sure, than others that you would think to react with to the statement, what good does talking do? You never listen. Now, with some coaching, what the wife actually came back with in terms of the paraphrasing, so coming back to this idea of paraphrasing is, are you feeling unhappy because you need to be heard? Rather than some of the either attacking statements that could have been made, well, you never do this, or I never do that, or you never give me a chance to speak, you know, all of those types of things, or making it personal. So rather than, are you unhappy with me? So taking that personal element away from it. So she asked instead, and this is where the nuance is so important, she asked instead, 
Are you feeling unhappy because you need to be heard? So again, coming back to that core underlying need, what is the need that is causing that reaction from the other person or that statement from the other person rather than just reacting to their position? You're really understanding, right, what's drive, what need is driving them to say something like that? So like I said, there's so much nuance here, but the paraphrasing allows for the conversation and it's okay to be wrong with the need because by getting it wrong, you get closer to them helping you uncover the need. And it's unlikely that it's gonna be the first time, it's unlikely it's gonna be easy to actually get to the stage where you're nailing it first time and they're like, oh yeah, that is my need. Okay, great, let's carry on. There's usually gonna be a bit of an uncomfortable exchange between there and or the starting point and getting to that need. And it's very easy for that conversation to degrade at any point when you start taking the other side too personally and bring it back to you and your needs or you and your actions. Fundamentally, this isn't about fixing. And this is one of the traps we can fall into is by trying to fix it rather than trying to understand the need because it's very easy to, to do that. We have, it's quite a human, human reaction. We also need to distinguish between feelings and non-feelings. So one of the examples of the book is something we might hear, it sounds like a feeling, but it's not a feeling. So for example, I feel inadequate as a guitar player. The book says that by that, in that statement, you're assessing your ability as a guitar player rather than clearly expressing your feeling or your need. The actual feeling might be, I feel disappointed with yourself or I feel disappointed in myself as a guitar player, or I feel impatient with myself as a guitar player. So there's such an important need here as well in order to do this well, both with ourselves and with other people, is to have a better vocabulary of emotions and what and be able to spot what is an emotion, what is a feeling, what is a need and what is not. There's another a couple of examples here as well around when you're attaching that feeling to other people, which is another really important point. We have to distinguish the the feeling we have and remove the connection to other people. So for example, I feel unimportant to the people with whom I work. The word unimportant describes how you think others are evaluating you rather than actually what you're feeling, which might be you feel sad or you feel discouraged or you might feel disappointed. Similarly, something like I feel misunderstood. That is an indication of other people's level of understanding of you rather than your own feeling where you might be annoyed or anxious or something else. And another example in the book, so all of these three examples are in the book, something like, I feel ignored. This is also a statement which is a result of someone else's action rather than what you are feeling. So you might feel hurt or sad or maybe even relief because you actually wanted to be ignored. So words like that, words like ignored, misunderstood or unimportant are how we interpret others rather than how you feel. Similarly with things like bullied, cheated, abused, attacked, betrayed, all related to someone else rather than our own feeling. And it's such a subtle difference between between the two. And this is one of the things in the book that you will have to, if you're reading it, you'll have to kind of stop, pause and think, oh, wow, yeah, I do fall into that. I do either try and just go straight to the fixing rather than actually understanding what other someone else is, is needing or feeling, or you will express your emotions as an attachment to someone else's action or behavior or what you think their action or behavior is is because of rather than your own actual feeling which again comes back to that point of personal responsibility and, and connection that's big idea number three the root of feelings quick recap the three big ideas from the book Nonviolent communication big idea number one observe feel need request big idea number two responsibility and expression And big idea number three, the root of feelings. 
Now, when I summarize most books, my aim is always for someone to be able to listen to this and go away and put one thing into practice from the book without necessarily having to read it themselves. This book, I'd say, is one of the exceptions to that. I would say that this hopefully is enough to whet your appetite or want to read a little bit more into nonviolent communication or go to one of the many trainings that are available on nonviolent communication techniques and tactics because I just don't know if I can, I just don't think I can do justice to the the subtleties, the nuances, the, the, the very specific language that comes from being able to do this and do this well. I think it is a fascinating topic. It is one that I would love to come back to and probably explore a little bit more for the reasons that I mentioned earlier in terms of the link, particularly to my work that I do in people and culture type consulting and working with teams. I just think there's a lot here that if you were really tuned into from a in a really competent and confident way, you could really change the conversation that happens in teams or in, in individuals when you're doing coaching with them as well. I think there's some really fundamental shifts you could help people make, particularly around that piece of, personal responsibility versus blame versus connection with what other people are doing or saying or thinking. If you have done more nonviolent communication, I'd love to know how you're applying this to your work or your life or your family. And there's so many examples in the book of people who have applied this at home, at work, in friendship groups with their parents. And sometimes after quite long periods of stress or anxiety of, of you know not being able to communicate well with those other people. And it doesn't necessarily completely fix the relationship, but it certainly means the the communication between those individuals or groups is a lot less fraught with misunderstanding and and violence in a physical and non-physical sense in some cases. All right. Whew, that was a big one. I deserve that hot chocolate now, I reckon. Thank you for listening. If you do have any comments on this one, as always, you want to get in touch and have a chat about books, my contact details are in the show notes right down at the bottom. Drop me a note. Let me know. But otherwise, until next time, happy reading.